Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. fellow basement dwellers this is your good friend patrick o'dowd welcoming you into another edition of bandwagon nerds here on the chair shot radio network a part of the chairshot.com where we encourage you to always use your head thechairshot.com always use your head very much christopher platt we have a Stripped down agenda for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. We've all seen Batman, the Batman. So we're going to talk about the Batman before we go into part five of the Op Project. And that would be our greatest dramas from 2000 to 2009. And just recognizing that we've probably got a lot to say about the latest addition to the DC Universe Figured that was a solid enough topic to stand on its own before we get into what will inevitably be a long, in-depth discussion about the variety of dramas we've chosen from. Even though I'm pretty sure that, I don't know about you guys, and I guess I should introduce the rest of the podcasters since I'm sitting there getting ready to talk to them. We are, of course, joined by the lawyer himself, David Ungar, who's busy talking about like eight different Disney trips. Like, How many times are you just going to visit the mouse in the next year or so? Like, you just Too many. You like Mickey, like he's like your best friend. He is. He's my boy. He's the new. He's my new Henry Cavill. Pat, there you go. Really? Is it Gaston? Is Gaston would be like? Have you have you challenged him to a push up competition? No, not 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 yet. No. What's that? Can't you do that with Gaston? Can't you like challenge him to a push up competition? I don't know. Not out here. Maybe maybe on the east coast. On the east coast, down in Florida. Yeah. I don't know if we call it the, the east coast. PC Tony is also with us today. He is fresh out of the movie theater, by the way. Fresh out of the theater. How are you today, Mr. Tony? How are you feeling post-movie experience? People need to learn how to fucking drive. Go to your DOT manual and fucking learn how to navigate a damn roundabout, okay? This isn't fucking European vacation. Let's get over it, folks, all right? Yeah, I I wish I... Wish I could make that go away for you but i I i live in new england man and new england like massachusetts drivers have a nickname you all know what it is right we're called mass holes 
We're called mass hole drivers because we're we're horrible. We cut people off. We don't care. We get lost. There's always like that granny who's driving too slow in the fast lane on the interstate, for example, shit like that. All of the hits. Let me. Uh, I'll just read it and then we can move on. What what is what ended up in the? Because I was texting. Yeah. I was yeah, messaging everybody the text. Yes, I was stopped at the uh, entry to the roundabout and I was messaging you guys and then I put the phone down because it was about ready to go as I was watching and it recorded what I was saying while driving behind this old lady. Aesop is already on his way home and I am just pulling out of the parking lot now. I should be home in 10 minutes. Oh, you're a fucking idiot. You have no idea how to fucking drive in here, do you? Oops, the voice recorder got me and this bitch don't know how to fucking drive. And I would say that that is arguably the greatest DM message I've ever read in my entire life. So there you go. And of course, rounding out the group again this week, it's been our special guest host for all of the art projects so far and has been doing great filling in for Mr. Ray Cash in his absence, even more fresh from the movie theater than Tunny, Mr. Aesop Mitchell, who was, uh, Compared to me eating like a fruit cup or something, like as I interrupt, interrupt your lunch, how you doing, man? Hey, no, no, no. It, it's uh, some corn. I had to get some some healthiness, and by healthy, I mean the most unhealthy vegetable out there. So uh, I'm doing great. I'm just had to satiate my body after a, an an arduous but very fun uh, time at the movie theater. Three hours is a long time not to eat. See, and I was talking about that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit when we actually get to talking about the movie. But you got you got to have rations during the movie. Like, I, and I am not above with a three-hour movie. I ate my weight in popcorn and was okay with that. So I just uh, – I, and maybe it's because I'm I'm 43 and, and don't care about my body too much anymore. I was like, just give me all of it. Like, let's layer the butter – but I don't need a soda. Can I make sure I have a bottled water? Because I'm trying to wash my figure. So, you know, taking care of me. But, yeah, so that's going to be our show this week, everybody, is we are going to talk The Batman. All four of us have seen the movie. All four of us, I'm sure, have plenty of thoughts that we need to talk about and share. And then we're going to get into the op project and get really super serial to start. Like, we're going to get really serious with with our movies because we are talking dramas. And then uh, I, I say that – Oh, the dogs are angry. Oh, no. They're super serious. <laughs> do. The dogs are super serious. But it could be a dramedy. It could be It could be a dramedy with the dogs, you know, like funny but serious. Like I'm sure – I think it was you, Aesop, who said all of the dramedies in, in working on your uh, on your list. So we know where, we know where that's going to go. So – before we head off and start talking the Batman, though, we are going to do we're going to do our first commercial break early today, um, just to give our get ourselves in the right headspace. And then when we come back, we're going to break down our thoughts on the newest addition to the DC film collection, the Batman. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net.
I'm vengeance. says i can't make a sound bite did you just play the youtube video i have no idea what you're referring to <laughs> I, I i recorded a youtube video sir and then put it on my foobar board i resent that I anyone resent else um anyone else else get strong uh empire vibes from that theme song it's funny you mention that because anytime i do these i always then give i always give the little odd the headset to be like, all right, tell me what you can hear. Does it sound good to you? And so he listened to it. And I was like, could you hear? Could you hear the the speech part? And he's like, yeah. He said something. He said like, you know, I'm vengeance. And I'm like, yeah, he did that. And he's like, but he was like, it sounded like a combination, a little bit of like the Marvel song with some Star Wars, and like he had like all these different elements. I I got to tell you, in terms of a score, and this is. I, it, it's always good to me when there's something distinctive that tells you exactly where this comes from. And though that, that dun, 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 that is throughout the three hours that was the Batman and done in a myriad of different ways, even within that little clip that I played, like it's really quiet and subtle and builds and then gets really heavy after, after the on engines part. So I guess, for me, and we'll start. Everybody just saw this movie, um, and I and I, I just will do a quick once around the table. We'll go clockwise from what I see here. So we'll, we'll the review, uh, the sort of the just the first initial thoughts. We'll go Dave, Tony, Aesop. We'll, you'll bring up the rear uh, based on my Skype window. I I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I thought it was holy. I don't want to say wholly unique to portrayals of Batman we've seen in the past. However, you know, I don't, this was a film noir Batman movie complete with narration. Like the only thing that was left out of the movie in terms to make it more film noir was the moment Selena Kyle showed up and not hearing Pattinson's voice overdub as she walks in. And then the dame walked into my life. Like, Really, just very, you know, and people talked about this being like this new dark and gritty Batman. And yeah, it's dark. It's it's gritty, but not in the same way that Nolan's Batman was. It was just it was completely unlike. And some people have, you know, already come out and been like, ah, this was meh or it was all right. Um, the, the comment I made to Dave, those are people who have not followed Detective Batman nearly as much as other iterations of Batman. So really, really liked it. And we'll, we'll, we'll deep dive it further uh, once we do a quick once around. But Dave, you also saw the Batman uh, on Saturday, the same day I did. What were you, what were your thoughts walking out uh, of Matt Reeves three hour Batman movie? And what is the first of what they hope will be multiple given the ending? Um, largely echoing your sentiments, Pat. I thought it was, uh, tremendous. I thought it was fantastic. I've already 
you know, put a post out there. I think I wouldn't say it's as good as the dark Knight, but it's probably number two on my list right now. As far as the best Batman movies that have come out, I'd put it right there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's, I mean, I know we're going to deep dive into it. There's a lot of stuff about this that I that thought they did extraordinarily well. Um, anybody who had doubts about Robert Pattinson's ability to be Batman should put that to rest. He was fantastic. So yeah, I thought it was a a great great movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, like you're saying, you know, the the like your one of your friends who posted right after you said it was fantastic said that there was overacting going on and it was this and that and I'm like overacting. I thought they underacted in a few places, but anyway, I I kick it over to the rest of the group. I thought it was tremendous. Like I said. It's number two for me, just behind the Dark Knight. Yeah, cool PC. I had a great time. Um, yeah, Aesop and I just just came from the theater actually, and uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was it was my only complaint afterwards, you know. And for me, if it, you know, a great meal is a great meal when everything's good, but you have one thing to complain about. Um, was that I thought they could have got through the movie in maybe two and a half hours. Didn't need three, like in, in certain parts, but otherwise it was, it was really good. I enjoyed the hell out of Robert Pattinson narration. That was excellent. I thought the tone he gave for that was wonderful. Um, I love the play of thinking that, you know, uh, the Riddler had figured out that Bruce Wayne was Batman, but he, he, you know, did he, didn't he? No, he didn't. Did he? Oh, I guess we'll find out. Quick reminder, everyone. Bandwagon Nerds is not spoiler-free. I should have warned everybody. Dave will play a spoiler warning sort of thing. He'll do it in post-production. No, he won't. Sorry. <laughs> not sorry. a chance. Sorry. It's, it's, it's common knowledge by now. <laughs> sorry, Especially from sorry. Dave. I'm sure spoiler alert sound I, uh, out there you can find. Spoiler. So, the last thing I say before we go to Aesop is I turned Aesop after the movie and one of the first things because we, we we started up a conversation during the credits waiting for the the easter egg at the end and i said i think paul dano gets some award nominations for this role yeah paul dano is one he's like, a ridiculously like, talented actor he should a, be he should get an oscar nomination for this that's how good i thought he was in that role yeah i well here's the problem and it's, also last thing i'll say is Totoro was excellent as 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 carmine carmine falcone yeah go ahead Aesop. Uh, this is my favorite Batman movie. For once, we can finally say that Batman is the world's greatest detective. Normally, we see these movies and it's so action-driven, it's so drama-intense. Now we're getting like some thriller suspense to it all, and we can actually see the mind of Batman breaking down uh, you know, each crime scene and stuff, you know, actually working with the police in a much more intricate role than we had in the past, working with Lena Kyle as Catwoman, uh, who, again, is finally Catwoman. All of our Catwomans of previous time is just a sexy girl that dresses up like a cat. For once, she's a cat burglar. The score is so fantastic. It sets a, a very perfect tone of these like weird fifties music to go something Gothic as well to fit the, the setting of the, you know, whether it be in Wayne Manor or it be at the cathedral, the performances are so much stronger than any other 
Batman before. And it maybe uh, I should say the performance is collective because you didn't have a uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon like Jeffrey Wright, who was so intense and involved throughout the course of the story. You know, Gary Oldman killed it in the the Nolan franchise, but he wasn't as important as Jeffrey Wright was. Uh, like I said before, Selena Kyle, uh, Zoe Kravitz did, did a phenomenal job throughout that. Even Andy Serkis's small bits of Alfred Pennyworth is very memorable. And, and like PC said, as far as complaint department is concerned, my only one is John Turturro. Because every time I see him, I think he's going to do something silly. And then when I see him in a serious role, it kind of takes takes me aback a little bit. Well, I mean, if you want off off kilter John Turturro, check out his work in the TV show Severance, as that ha- that is offbeat John Turturro. Him and Christopher Walken, by the way, doing great on that series from what I've seen so far. Um, let's you 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 and Tony have both brought up actors and just sort of performances. Tony Paul Dano was as the Riddler was was just great, and I just love that there. I, this happens all the time. The Riddler has always it's kind of like Aquaman, right? Uh, from the Justice League, where he's always been kind of this character that's been treated kind of goofy in, in film and and there's no goofy at all in Paul Dano in, in this movie like he is unhinged he has a reason for being unhinged he is he is a fringe person like like to say the least and it is it's great and yeah he and probably what I think is was a brilliant twist. And you can't tell me that half the audience didn't get it right there along with Batman. You think he knows who who Batman is. You think he knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But it, it but and when he's like, you know, we did it together and the only one we didn't get was Bruce Wayne, you're like, oh shit. That was great. That's great stuff. Um and I also I love this anytime a a superhero or a comic book movie doesn't kill a villain. That makes me happy, you know, like, and I don't care if his role gets diminished and we'll talk about, we'll talk about his new friend in a moment, but, um, anytime you don't kill, kill a villain, I think that's, I think that's better storytelling. Tony, you were kind of laughing there. Was that what I said or something else? Yeah. Like every time you don't kill a villain, whatever I was thinking of, like the more, you know, ones where it goes, dun, 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 dun. An angel gets his wings. It, it breaks away from what I've complained about many times, the Marvel formula, right? Right. Kill it, the it, guy. That this is something that is very different in the superhero verse as of late, where now we can actually save Batman's rogues galleries for later. And that to me is, is primetime viewing. And I, I said to PC in the theater, it's remarkable how DC can just botch every last one of their characters except for Batman and whomever touches the Batman character in a, in a film is guaranteed to at least do good. If not great, it's really quite remarkable. Do you think that's because Batman is like the most relatable of the DC characters? Cause he's just a normal guy with a lot of gadgets and a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, that's again, what I had said, he's, 
grounded in reality. I also don't think they've tried on some other characters that are grounded in reality. And I'll point to PC Tunney's favorite character, like the Flash. Like Barry Allen's a very relatable guy. Like you can, you can, I'm interested in, it's the little O'Dowd's favorite superhero in the DC universe anyway. So so we're going to go see that movie. But like as a character, Barry, Barry Allen is, is somebody that you can connect to. Uh, so I, I do think there's some validity there. I also just think that Mar- DC's approach with with their characters has, has has I don't know, like they've tried too hard to make too many of them like a Batman character, at least give them that like that that pathos, that edge. Like you can't make. I always I hate when Superman's brooding all the damn time. Like that's just not who fucking Superman is. Nineties Superman in the comics. Yeah, yeah, don't make him brooding and sad. Like we don't want that out of Superman. Aquaman could could be a, a conflicted character. He could be conflicted without being like just depressing and dark and, and i think that that's been and we've talked about this before on this show like it's been a problem for a really long time yeah I also, like I, you're saying superman needs to be batman's opposite for it to work absolutely and, and i also i just also like it's been made very clear this is its own thing like there's no connection there's no greater dc ex, extended cinematic universe that you need to worry about here Good. I, I don't need to. I don't need to have another extended universe immediately after Marvel. You know what I mean? Marvel just wrapped up what is historically the biggest undertaking of all time. Why would DC even attempt to do that? You know what I mean? Especially after the success of Endgame, do some standalone films like you did. The Batman to me is my favorite Batman. I enjoyed The Dark Knight a lot. Don't get me wrong. But this, this was a masterpiece for myself. I I don't know. I Old Batman as Ben Ben Affleck's portrayal, I think might've been my favorite Batman, like tied with Michael Keaton maybe, but I didn't really feel strongly about it. I think, I don't know if I can say it, you know, confirm it at this moment in time, but I have a really good feeling that, like, a lot of people will think Robert Pattinson is the best Batman as movies go. You know, Christian Bale, Michael Keaton, Ben Affleck, I think they all did a really good job. But I think Robert Pattinson is just going to nail the shit out of this. I think they had the perfect director for it, especially him combining all the elements of his past work. We talked about that on the debut edition of, of PC and Platt on Chairshot Radio Network this week. So... It's just, it was great. It was a good time, and I'm really glad I went and saw it in a movie theater, folks. You look forward to a story that's coming out, go see it in a movie theater. It's safe again, and you enjoy the shit out of it, watching it on the big screen and watching it with other people. Yeah, about Pattinson, I'll say this. I think he nailed Batman really, really well. I love the fact that the Batman voice wasn't overdone like Christian Bale did it, that it was just it was just there, kind of a little bit of a, a different octave than... The Bruce Wayne thing. I, I don't think we got enough of him as Bruce Wayne. They just didn't have Bruce enough in this movie, which is one of my quibbles. Do you think do you think he grows into the Batman voice we're used to? And maybe he just starts not. this way? I hope okay. not. Because it, it's wondering. like it seems like, you know, 
it was okay in Batman Begins and it was cool in Dark Knight. By the time you got to Dark Knight Rises, it was so overdone that it felt forced. I'll, I'll go I'll go a step further. I thought it was forced in the Dark Knight. Like I, I think he yeah, by the time you get to the Dark because here's what here's what I liked about I love that we're we're nitty gritty on Pattinson's Batman voice. But I I, I love I love it being a softer, more menacing sounding voice as opposed to this like growl, <gasps> growl thing like that. Listen, you can't swear to me. me. Listen, <laughs> so he took the adrenaline or whatever he took at the end, right? Right. Put, okay. So I guarantee you that will become an addiction of his and he'll be viewed negatively because he's going to go over the edge by abusing that or using that one time. I'm telling you, that's going to be part of the next story. Now, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Patrick. It's not Tony Stark. Yeah, Tony. I mean, Jesus. We, we don't, we don't know where we're going next. Um, I just told you. Yeah. I think, I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing. There's a whole other story. You can't just do a whole, I mean, don't you can't do to talk drama. So I'm sure we can talk We could have a three hour Batman movie where this we total BS. I just wanted to say to Dave's point about wanting more Bruce Wayne, this film kind of told that. And this was more or less an origin story for Bruce Wayne. He was so engrossed in Batman and left the Bruce Wayne part out of it. We saw that in the teaser clip that they gave at the the funeral uh, before... The DA comes in, you know, they said, where are you, Batman? Or where are you, Bruce Wayne? You need to be here. And I think that's where, why they purposely left him out because he was so into that. And then you kind of see that at the end where the, when one of the Riddler vigilantes says, I am vengeance. And he, he talks about it in his final narration, like, holy shit, this is not the hero that I, that I need to focus on. I need to be able to be both parts of this half to be the best uh, provider for this community, for this city. Right. He talks about going from being a beacon of vengeance to being a beacon of hope. And the thing that was that I really appreciated that Reeves did um, in this movie, and it was very, very subtle, but it was um, his cinematography work or whoever did the cinematography was really, really good. Uh, The very end of that movie, the rescue that's all out of the shadows. That's all in the light. And the other thing that they did, and I don't know if anybody else noticed it, there are tons of moments in that in those final sequences of scenes where only specific people are in focus. And if you look like there's there's a when they're on the roof and Batman is helping people, Batman is in focus. And the other, like maybe one person that he's helping is in focus. Everything around him is blurred. When the mayor is standing and giving the speech in the rubble, she is in focus. Commissioner Gordon is in focus. You can see them clearly. The people standing just to the left and the right are blurred. So not only did he tell us through the lighting in the scene himself, Reeves is showing you in sharp relief these are the people who are going to try, who are going to carry the banner for Gotham going forward. And I thought it was very good. I thought it was very subtle. Um, and I thought, I, I hate that this movie is being released in March because of what, you know, Tony just talked about this and, and I hope people remember 
but it, it's the curse of the Oscars is to be released early. Like it's really tough because of the way the calendar turns over, you get that late surge of movies in November, December that are basically Oscar bait. Like that's when those movies go out and it's very black Panther was able to pull it off. Um, but this will be the highest grossing movie of the year. Right. But so is Endgame. until multiverse of madness comes out. It will be right. But that was Marvel Patrick. This is Batman. This is DC. Right. So anyway, it's a superhero movie and um, it's coming out again. It's it's, it's the superhero movie. Sorry, Dave. Superhero movie. I, uh, you, I will bet good money that Multiverse of Madness outgrosses it. You think so? Absolutely. We'll see. I don't know. I'll be I'll be donating to that as well, trying to find that in um. Three, I mean, it, in three D. It is, it is going to be a shorter film, so they'll be able to put it in theaters more. I don't know. I'm just talking. Space. Like you mentioned, some subtleties of the movie, Pat. I was going to throw this out to you guys. First off, having Nirvana something in the way as the main driving theme simply fantastic you know what? Uh, i knew you were going to mention the nirvana oh, I, thing. just i've never I, heard that we were, I knew that 90s day was going to be all like yeah oh it was it was <laughs> but it's a perfect song Nirvana's one of the greatest bands of all time it's a dude. perfect Go song on. for that narration that you guys were talking about i mean it really fit in well um the other thing is like when he's sitting there across from the riddler and they're confronting each other and they're separated by that glass i thought that they did a subtle throwback to nolan where they did the same thing like when he was talking to Joker, where that music starts to crescendo in the background. And so they kind of did a callback to that. I thought that was really, really smart and well done. And, uh, you know, I just, I mean, that that interaction between Pattinson's Batman and Dano's Riddler, very similar to Bale and Ledger. Yeah. It's a slow burn of a movie, by the way, for those that are talking about three-hour whatever being a slog it's not a slog it's did a you slog. guys feel like it was three i didn't feel like it was three hours i did but i had to pee for the last two hours <laughs> well, so that's on you then <laughs> i i agree it did feel like it was a three-hour movie i didn't hate though that it was a three-hour movie i can kind of understand what tunny was talking about before about you know yeah you could have cut some scenes out and made a two and a half hour movie but here's the thing the scenes that they did add that you know might feel like you could have cut them out. We're still important. It's not like they were wasted scenes and they just, you know, made it a bunch of filler throughout. Uh, every scene that they put in that film had some sort of purpose behind it and felt like, uh, yeah, we could use it or we don't need it, but it still is not going to hurt to put it in. I am a little concerned, though. I've already seen on Twitter some hashtags for releasing the Snyder Cut of the Batman. and well, You that... know you're going to get a four-hour extended cut of this thing. I'm not interested in that one. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'll watch I it. Wanna, I just want to say two quick things, and then I really don't have much else to say, except that I really enjoyed it, and um, I can't wait for more of Robert Pattinson, uh, Matt Reeves' Batman. Um, but uh, I actually was like i knew colin farrell was playing the penguin but i watched the movie and i was like i think i was i think i read that did i read that wrong somewhere i aesop and i are walking up the aisle up the aisle after the after the end of the we stayed all the way to the end end and i said i thought colin farrell was supposed to play the penguin and he's like he did i'm like okay i i just kept looking for cues and i couldn't find them in there Um, he was was great another standout performance yeah 
I can't wait that for him and um, the Joker and the Riddler all to be in the next movie together with Batman's world exploding, uh, throwing a love interest. Last thing, Jeffrey Wright, the the Commissioner Gordon becoming Commissioner Gordon. You don't hear that story a lot. It's always Batman and Commissioner Gordon. So that was just a really good movie. I mean, really, really good movie. Well, Nolan did that too. Nolan, when when you're first introduced to, to Gordon, he's like a lieutenant. Um and everybody dies in the like. I just love how Commissioner Gordon, like he earned his way up there, but it's because like everybody in front of him dies. Like you know, well, a lot of them were corrupt though too. Then you know, and, and it's just, and to me it's funny because in the Batman comics, like we never had that. Like he just was Commissioner Gordon. Like he was just he was the man in charge, and like he's this nice ally that that you have there. The makeup that they did on Colin Farrell, by the way, not only was it good in preventing you from recognizing him, but the use of the scars. To where when they angled the camera on his face in ways made him look beak like was was clever. And I thought that was was really neat. Thoughts on Andy uh what is it, circus? 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 Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. I mean I, I wanted more. I wanted more you, of him just to kind of get his backstory a little bit because they teased it a lot, uh specifically in the hospital, right? The hospital scene. And you, you kind of wanted to hear his explanations of things, but maybe again, that's something for another movie that it, we don't need to know right now. It, there's a lot of things that we don't need to be explained. And that's one issue with a lot of movies is that they have to justify things. I'm looking at you, Star Wars, midichlorians. Like we, we don't need to know everything. And if that's what we get, it makes you wanting more for a film. So I, I give them credit because it makes me want more Andy Serkis. Yeah. I thought he was really good. I mean, you know, Michael Caine's performance of, of uh, Alfred is, is really pretty, you know, pretty awesome. But I thought, yeah, we didn't probably get enough of Andy Serkis in this one, but I thought the parts yeah. that we saw of him, he did, he did very well. I, I, I think it says a good thing that I think it shows, you know, how great people did when we're like, oh, I don't think we got enough of this person. I don't think you needed more Alfred. Like you had him. He references his time in, in the service the first time when he's working on the same cipher that Bruce Frank Bruce is working on the very first one. Um, by the way, who was and we're all presuming it's the Joker. That was next door. I'm assuming. Yes, we're all nodding. He used the word joke and, and so well, on. Aesop has the actor too. Yeah, well, I don't know if it is. Him. I'm just guessing that it is the the boy from Gotham, right? What's that? The guy from Gotham that was the unofficial Joker. Oh, was it? I I've never watched Gotham, so I don't know. I don't know who it was who played it. Um, I and I you, just you, have to look it up. No, but you you've seen um, you've seen Shameless, right? No. Oh, it's Cameron Monaghan. He plays Ian Gallagher. He's redhead. Oh, yeah. I know who you're talking about. I know who the guy, like, I've seen the pictures of the guy. Yeah, just based off of the forehead that we got, you know, it looks very similar. It kind of sounds like his voice. Uh, I I feel fairly confident in saying that that's who it was. But I, again, that's just a guess. That is nothing official. Batman degree. Let's see. Batman director reveals I didn't. Anything. I, I I sent a picture in a, you in know, a group chat. You know who so. else it kind of reminded me of with the silhouette was Ben Schwartz. So the name of the person is Barry Barry Keelan. 
Hugin. Ooh. Officially credited as unnamed Arkham prisoner. Barry Re- Keegan. IG- Keegan. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Barry Keegan. Oops. No, how do you how do you spell the last name? K E O G H A N. This character is indeed a proto Joker. I don't see who else oh, it could have been. He's from, he's from Eternals. That does not uh, look like the, what what I saw, but he, he's from I Eternals. That 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 could be it with a little bit different hair. You wouldn't think of it because his hair in Eternals is f- like a Roman haircut, soldier haircut, straight down in the front. I mean, this is kind I always of, thought that was Ezra Miller to be honest. IGN. He's this a good is, actor. Also, I'm okay with that casting. So we'll see. And again, he's in Shadow, so this happens all the time. Somebody's in Shadow, casting gets changed. Uh, I don't think this one gets changed. I mean, we we had a different roads for the first Iron Man, and then suddenly Don Cheadle was the guy. Contracts happen. All right, end of the day, we've been up. We were upwards of thirty some minutes on this. Dave and I are going to write nerd reviews. It's been a while since we've done a nerd review at at the conclusion of. Um, what was that show? That really terrible Star Wars show. The Book um, of Mandalorian. Book I mean, the Book of, of yeah, yeah. Book of Mandalorian fed. I'm having a too good of a day to get into this shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> we can always wait into that. Uh, it's all Star Wars. I highly recommend this film. I hope people go and see it. Um, I don't know that I'll be able to sit down for another three hours to watch it a second time. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Aesop's already nodding. I just, because it's the type of movie that I do think upon repeated viewings, you're going to see more shit. Like, and that's worth the time to check out. Like, everybody's everybody's super looking forward to seeing the next installment, right? I mean, that's how good of a job they did. Like, you're going to watch this and go, okay, I will will be watching the next one. Absolutely. Just be prepared to have your... Um, assumptions change because this is not an action film in the slightest. As no. it, it's it's got action moments, but uh, there is very little physical action going on. It's a, you, it's a crime thil- thriller, suspense thriller, crime suspense thriller. A neo noir that's just fantastically done. It's, it's closer to silence. It's closer to Silence of the Lambs than it is Iron Man. How about that? Absolutely. And basically the nerds, this is a, this is um, nerd approved. We haven't said that in a while. That's right, folks. The Batman oh, nerd approved. Damn. Sounds like a, that sounds like a t-shirt, Greg. It does sound like a t-shirt, Greg. Fucking A. Maybe, maybe we can sell more than one or two bandwagon nerd shirts. I know. I, I think I bought the, the loan purchase for, for the bandwagon nerd shirt. Buy a shirt. Oh, I know two people that have that shirt. Slash the chair shirt. Chair shot. Chair shirt. <laughs> All right. We're going to take our second commercial break. And that's right. Already taking a second commercial break. When we come back, we will resume the art project this time with our top dramas from 2000, 2009 to 2009. You're listening to bandwagon nerds here on the chair shot radio network, a part of the chairshot.com. Why should you visit the chairshot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. I don't know why y'all got up. It was like 19 seconds of commercial. Everybody disappeared. I know Tony keeps his headset on. He always got his headset on. He always knows what's up. Mitchell's got his headset on. He knows what's up. 
Um, but he needs to get back to his damn microphone because he is first in the op project for drama. So I look forward to him getting back to Dave. You know what, Dave, just for you. Thank you for sticking with me. Man, I don't want to create any drama. So, you know, I'm here for you. But up, Ching. He's, he'll be here all week. <laughs> you, you're good, you. You. So you. I got I to tell you guys, I thought that I would have a tough time making this lit. Oh, he didn't have his headset on, so he didn't know we were talking shit about it the whole time. No, it's, I mean, I figured as much, but I just didn't hear words exactly. <laughs> Your words so much as you just understood uh, psychically that we were criticizing everybody getting up for a 20 second commercial spot. Um, uh, I get it. I know, Tony, you basically live with the headset on, like, you know, do half a DWI off the chair. Well, that's, I mean, but it's the chair, Tony probably sleeps with his headset on anyway. I thought this was going to be tough because I thought, man, I'm gonna have trouble coming up with, with good dramas. That I want to put on there. And I was like, I got these two obscure ones that I want to put on there. One of them is a dramedy. I was like, I got two really obscure ones I got to put on there. And I'm still wondering if I want to be able to have eight more. And then I wrote a list of 17 that I then had to cut. Uh, That's it? Story's not done yet. And then I was like, wait, did this movie come out in the, in, in the first decade? Oh, yeah, it did. Let me add that one. So I actually left off. I, I'm going to tell you, I lied. I said that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was going to end up on my drama list. And then I cut it because we already talked about it in sci-fi. Yeah, so I added like, on sci-fi. So I was like, it got its due back on sci-fi. I, I don't want to, I don't want to do a redo. I don't want to do a redux. So I put, you know, a bunch of movies that were unique to me. I, the other thing that I realized is that some of the movies that were big dramas, you know, Oscar worthy things I had fucking seen. So I, I didn't feel in good conscience that I could uh keep them on a list if I haven't seen a movie. So that was that was my struggle. Tony, how did your system work for you this time? Good? Same <sighs> listen, I already prefaced the fact that I was out drinking yesterday with DPP. So there was no prep time last night. This morning there was breakfast to fix the hangover. Came home, UFC 4 has been just stealing my time on PlayStation 4, and I went, oh shit, we're going to the movie as at 10 a.m. It's 8.30, I need to work on my list. Uh, so what I just heard there is that PC Tunny has the Slapdash edition. <laughs> no, I was still, I, honestly, I was still able to give it a good 35 minutes, okay? So, but I, honestly, though, there was like six movies right away that I was like, these are on my list definitely for the drama category. A couple things I left for action and for comedy, just because I think they'll make it there. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's just a lot of really good fucking movies, man. And <laughs> it is. Oh, what happened here? Oh, we're good. All right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Aesop, you were like only 17. I'm sorry that I disappointed you. Uh, drama is, such a vague description for this category, right? So we have action, and we got that coming up too. That's fair. That is very fair. But uh, drama, there is a lot uh, that you can go with. And for me, I had 
initially gone, tried to do what PC did last week and um, go through every movie in the past decade. And I realized that was not going to work. I did that that in 35 minutes. Yeah, well, you also look at your list. I don't know. I don't even know what you have on there. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But there, there are some absolutely stunning films out there over the the course of this decade that leave very strong imprints in my cinematography section. Uh, That's usually like something that grabs me in more than grabs me more than anything, you know, depending on what it's shot in the film quality and those that's really how how films get separated, in my opinion. You know, when you have these standouts visually, because you can create a good story. Whether or not it looks good is another, you know, another thing. So I, I had eleven left off of my list. I know I scrapped another probably fifteen that could have been in the honorable mentions, but I thought even my honorable mentions is getting too big, so I had to. Uh, be smart about it. here on this show. We're all, all for the honorable mentions. Dave, how about you, man? How'd you, how'd you... Well, I think like with dramas, to me, dramas are kind of like this, um, like this catch-all category where I've got a lot of stuff here that doesn't, like Aesop was saying, a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily fit into one category or another crosses over into into comedies or adventure or an entire category. Like I got several movies that don't seem to fit into any category, but are a category unto themselves that I just threw into dramas. And I, you know, I, I think we'll get into that. So yeah, I, I like, I like my list. It's kind of, um, it's eclectic, I would say with a lot of different sort of themes going on amongst the 10 of them. And, uh, yeah, let's get to it. All right. Let, let us get to it. Um, uh, and this week, our list, we will kick it off with Aesop this week so it's Aesop, myself followed by dave and tunny bringing up the rear uh and if we hear from ray cashington i don't think he sent us a list or anything so if we get a list we get a list if we don't uh then he just won't be on the poll this week uh listen so, much yeah. like much like channing tatum and sandra bullock i'm gonna get this head right up in that rear okay uh, Aesop. on that note Kick us off, sir. I said it in the group chat, all the dramedies. And my number 10 is Lost in Translation. Oh, nice pick. Lost in Translation is just deceptively simple, but a mature film about finding a connection in an odd duck sort of world, right? Shows a faded movie star and Bill Murray and a newlywed Scarlett Johansson creating a friendship while the two are across the Pacific in Tokyo. Uh, Sophia Coppola in her sophomore outing develops a connection between Murray and Johansson that just goes deeper than just words, but also in desire and body language and a comedy that you would expect from Murray, but not so much from Scarlett Johansson. It's, it's all about the mood here. And with that deft humor and poignancy, it creates an experience that shocks the soul with both humor and pensive moments. I, I really did enjoy this film when I saw it, even as a young child. And uh, upon like further reviews and watches, it, it's gotten better. Yeah, nice. Um, what's he whisper in her ear? 
What does Bill Murray whisper in Scarlett Johansson's ear? Nothing. Purple, purple, purple monkey dishwasher. It's like the big mystery of the movie. Like it's just like this big. Okay, I. The stones on Vormir. That's what he tells her. The stones on Vormir. <laughs> like it's this whole thing. It's like this big moment, and I, I guess I failed. So I'm just going to talk about my obscure. You've never heard of this drama. That is, I'm going to tell you right now, is definitely not for everyone, um, but was really, really interesting to me when I saw it. It's a, it's an indie film called Short Bus, and Aesop is nodding, Tony is nodding. Wow, you've heard of this movie, Tony? I'm actually legit surprised about this. Uh, most I, most think, people, I, I looked at the 300 movies that were actually there was 55,000 movies published in, in in American film in 2000 2009. So you know. This movie is famous or infamous uh, in in that all of its like sex scenes are legitimate, real sex scenes, and everybody gets into that wild border of what is art versus what is porn. The movie itself, though, is what I, in my opinion, was a terrific exploration of sexuality um, in the in the two thousands, the early two thousands, and shortly, I think it was like two thousand one, two thousand two is when that movie hit, and pursues boundaries upon the boundaries through this club uh, that culminates in a, a an orgy scene uh, at, at the very end and really centers around this one woman who is sort of exploring her own limits. And, and it's just, a, to me, it was a fascinating look at the human condition. Um, and it's definitely not one of those movies that you necessarily see on everybody's, you know, every video store shelf at the time. Like you, you're hard pressed at Blockbuster to find a copy of Short Bus. And if you did, it might be behind a curtain in that other room. Um, listen, listen, I worked at Blockbuster, and I've dated my fair share of artists, so I really connected with this movie. I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, I, I like the uh, I like the uh, Google. Uh, I just looked it up real fast. I actually don't know the film, but I, no? I was wondering if you were going to try did. to take one of my my higher up ones. But um, I, so I looked it up, and I, I like the Google description of. Uh, all three attend a mixer in which party goers partake of a sexual banquet. Yeah. That's a fair description. <laughs> it's it's quite a movie. And again, I think that people can be dismissive of dramas when it when it focuses on sex, but I think that it's every every bit as valid as any of the other movies that we have on there. And with that, I'm gonna hand it over to Dave for your number ten, sir. So my number 10 is like the only foreign film I have on this list. And um, it is uh, hailed by many as the greatest piece of Asian cinema to come out ever. And it's called uh, a movie called in the mood for love. I don't know if anybody's seen this or not. It, it real interesting film where you've got th this couple, they, they, they live next to each other and they come to realize that their respective spouses are having an affair with each other. So they start to fall for each other as well, but they never, they never cross that line of actually like hooking up with each other. They, they, it's clear they love each other, but it just never happens. And, and so the movie is really about the development of that relationship. So it's kind of like the opposite of short bus where it's not, it's not all sexual. It, it's like there's sexual tension, there's emotional attachment, but they never actually cross that line to go over. Um, it, it's a cool movie. Cause like the, you never see their respective spouses faces. You only see them from the back. 
and they they never show them. So it's kind of it's interesting. It, it it's it's not for everybody, especially because you know you've got to read subtitles and that sort of thing. But it's um it, it's a tiny or the guy who played um the main bad guy in Shang Chi. I forget. Yeah. I totally forgot that he was in that film. Yeah. He, I, I knew I recognized him when I saw Shang-Chi and it was like, oh, you just sort of opened my eyes, Dave. Yeah. He, I think he won like a, a Golden Globe or something, some major prestigious award for this role that he did. I mean, it, it's a lot of subtle kind of stuff and, and it's, it's, it's really kind of like unrecorded love, that sort of thing, even though they still love each other, they just never... They never cross that line, and then at the end, they just keep kind of missing, connecting with each other, where to take the relationship to the next level, and it just never happens. But it's it's a pretty cool movie to watch to sit through. It's um, yeah, not not for everybody, but yeah, it it's unique enough that it got number ten for me. Uh, he won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. Right, he's really good in this movie. I mean, it's not over the top like he was in Shang Chi, but he does an excellent job in this movie. Oh, nice. Tony, you're number 10. Uh, my number 10 stars Forrest Whitaker, Kiefer Sutherland, and Colin Farrell. And the movie is Phone Booth. Um, I don't know. That movie just kept my attention the entire time. I thought it was an excellent. It's, it's, it's more of like a suspense thriller, but where do you put that? I think drama covers that the most. There's a lot of drama there. Um, the cast is exceptional. It doesn't even stop there. I mean, you think about the fact that Colin Farrell is this arrogant, I think he's like a publicist or something like that. And uh, he, he takes this call or he's trying to make a call in a phone booth. So take that kids, go back 20 years. <laughs> There's phone booths still. Um, but uh, Katie Holmes is in this movie. Um, who else is in this movie? I'm trying to look at all this stuff right here. Jared Leto is in this movie. Um it's a pretty interesting cast and a lot of interesting things and uncomfortable moments that happen as Kiefer Sutherland is the one that's uh, got Colin Farrell on the hook in the phone booth while Forrest Whitaker is trying to navigate that as, as the uh, head police officer. Gentlemen, you guys, uh, any thoughts on remembering watching this film? No, I remember the movie being, it's kind of on the shorter side, right? Isn't it? Like, Not it's, very long. It's like a tight 90 minutes. Or something like that. Maybe not 90, but it's it's definitely kind of atypical. Like two two hours is basically the wheelhouse now for movies. It seems like that that's the acceptable movie length. And this, yeah, in in the set, you know, the setting itself doesn't move very much. Most of it is Colin Farrell tied to this film. It's an hour and twenty one minutes. Right. It's really fast. Like it's very tight. It's, it's not, it's, it tells it's a story though. It, it's there's consistent tension throughout the entire movie. So right. to me, that's drama. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't waste time. And you're right. Like thrillers, there's, it's drama is intentionally broad. I think that is absolutely a correct assessment. All right. Well then I'll bring it back around. Number nine. Uh, my number nine is sideways with Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden church. Um, we got Sandra O oh in this movie. Higher uh, on the top's list. Oh, it's higher. Oh, sorry, sorry. I switched Based over. My I had switched over to my. I had switched over to my notes. I'm sorry. I've, I only have two. I only put two on there. That's my other dramedy. So, all okay. right, well, Dave, we're skipping because we're doing sideways. Yeah. So that means it's your turn. So my number nine is one that probably is more sci-fi 
than anything else, but it didn't make my sci-fi list and I forgot about it and I thought about it like I'm putting it in drama and it's a uh, frequency. Uh, so, I mean, it does have the big sci-fi element of it with the whole, you know, space time continuum kind of anomaly going on where he's talking to his dad in the past and he ends up saving his. So it does have the dramatic element where he's trying to save his father from this terrible incident that takes place where he ends up dying. And, and it, I think the dramatic part of it is the deepening of the relationship between the father and the son and then having that come and get paid off at the end of it. Um, absolutely love the movie. It, it just, it, it, it's one of those ones that, you know, I go back to and watch numerous times because I love the theme. It's, it's unique in their approach to it. You don't see too many, you know, I, I know there's other movies that do that shit. Like what was that? Keanu Reeves, the, I don't know, the house on the lake bullshit, that sort of thing. Um, lake house. Lake yeah. house. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, but I, I thought they did this one very well and, and, you know, it's got elements of drama, sci-fi action, you know, that sort of thing. But I felt bad. I got left off my sci-fi list. I'm like, I'm putting it here. So frequency number nine for me. All right. My wife's in the other room cheering that selection. Thank you. (laughs) My number, my number nine is the second of my obscure independent movies that I'm sure nobody's seen. And it is my, it is a dramedy uh, from me. It is. So I'm sure this is going to come as a shock to to all of you I, I was a theater kid um in high school yeah you've probably heard of this one then asap or maybe you have um and i was and again i learned about this movie by accident because i used to i used to live at fucking blockbuster all the time and i saw this movie with i know you worked at blockbuster i get it <laughs> too you're you're special too anyway I worked at a video store too. But, okay, Best friends, Tony. You're, you're you're sufficiently nerdy video store. Whatever. Fuck off. As I was wandering through looking for something to watch one day, I came across this movie called Camp. And if you've never heard of this movie, it is a story of a high school summer theater camp. And there is one person in this movie that has become super famous. And that would be America's sweetheart herself, Anna Kendrick. Uh, But you wouldn't know that she was the star that she would become from this flick as it's a young cast, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of known ears about these kids who are outcasts, but they, when they come to theater camp, like that's their world. And it has, it's, there's, there's some really great heartbreaking stuff uh, like the movie opens with one of the main characters coming to his prom in drag and being uh, refused to attend their prom. And then on their way, leaving, they're beat up by some other high school kids uh, from the school. And you learn like their relationship with their parents. Uh, all this, all this all this kid wants is for their parents to come and see them perform. And they send us, they send an, an invitation and everything. Their father says they're going to come. There's a seat held. And of course, dad doesn't show and it's heartbreaking, but then there's kind of this wild comedy stuff too. Anna Kendrick plays this mousy understudy kind of girl to the popular girl at, at the theater camp. And 
she's finally had enough, so she sabotages the girl by poisoning her. Not enough to kill her, but just enough to make her vomit all the time so that she can then take over and get the lead. Uh, it has a cameo by Stephen Sondheim. I, I really love this movie. There's there's a part, there's two black kids that attend the camp and they cast them in Fiddler on the Roof as like Hasidic Jews. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and, he's, and they're sitting there talking about blind casting, which then leads to them doing a production of Dream Girls where this little kid who's adorable and knows how to tap dance ends up playing. Um, oh God, I'm going to forget the, the asshole's name and dream girls, but uh, it's, it's great. It's, it's love. And, and the theater kid in me just ate that movie up repeatedly to the point where I bought it when blockbuster went out of business for a dollar 98. That is a Stephen Sondheim uh, score. Yes. If I remember. Correctly. Yeah. Most uh, yeah. Almost everything in there is cause it's all like all the score is really just them showing productions that they work on in camp. And a lot of them are Sondheim productions. Yeah. He, he, he funds the camp in, in the, in the movie. And there's an, there's always like a guest teacher and the guest teacher is like this, he had like one hit on Broadway and like is beaten down by life and hates it and has given it up. And the kids of course, inspire him to write something new and everybody likes it. Um, you know, it does have a very happy ending, but I love camp. I think it's great and watch it repeated. And it's basically a musical as much as it is a comedy. So, and a drama. Excellent choice. Uh, I've seen it once back in college, but again, I went to school for music. So I was, not necessarily forced to watch Wait, it. Did you but, uh, go to band camp? Is that what you just said, Aesop? Uh, yes, a very expensive band camp. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number nine is Al Pacino in Insomnia. Uh, it's the first of my Christopher Nolan films who just lives in the drama, really. And you, you take Detective Will Domer, played with this subtle and gradual development by Al Pacino to a small Alaskan town to look into a murder of a young teenage girl. And the story begins to get more and more into a complicated and psychological game of cat and mouse and really ramps up the thriller part of this film. While as good as Pacino is, uh, the real treat for me is watching Robin Williams play in one of those disturbing roles that, you scarcely get to see from him or got to see from him. He's haunting. He's, he's totally creepy. And this is Nolan's first studio film. And with it showed the world that he was a pretty legit director, right? It wasn't just a, a one-off thing. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it specifically for what Williams and Pacino do, because Pacino kind of falls into my over-actor uh, category a lot of the times. And the way that he just, like I said, subtly played it, uh, the detective role, it was different. And it made me like him a lot more. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, oh. I, I didn't really like the movie. So it's fine. I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> it's, it's your list. It's your hey. list. You think Boba Fett was in it? Boba Fett isn't in his own show. That's the fucking problem. Uh, now, now I loop around, right? So my number eight, this might fall under my movies that maybe none of you have seen, and it's badass. 
just a beautiful tribute from the lead actor slash director, Mario Van Peebles, to his father, Melvin, and the creation of black exploitation genre with the production of his 1971 film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, which has some more questionable development than most of the films that you have questionable development towards. Uh, you have a stellar cast with Van Peebles, David Allen Greer, Adam West, Nia, uh, Nia Long, and Terry Crews. And to really get the joy of this movie, you should really watch Sweetback, followed by Badass. Also, I'm a sucker for film that is shot in Super 8. So that's what I was talking about in the opening. When, when you see the type of cinematography that you see in a film like Badass, it really sets a tone and uh, gives you a lot of joy to watch. I have, honest to God, never heard of that movie, so I'm going to have to check it out. It's awesome. Yeah, it's I'm, great. I'm same. same. Movie, so, uh, I'm, I'm in. All right, now to movies people have heard of on my list. So <laughs> I've gotten past my two. My number eight, uh, and again, I'm, I won't be surprised if any of these are higher on other people's lists. My number eight right. is King Crow's flick, Almost Famous. Nothing. A somewhat. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost, Almost famous. Yeah. Higher up on Tony's list. Okay. Yeah. Dave. Just let, let that, put that on low. It's going to be similar. <laughs> so we'll see if uh, my number eight's higher. I was actually rewatching this this morning, and my <laughs> wife was very disturbed to see this actor portraying such an absolute prick as he does in this movie. But this is uh, number eight's training day. Oh. No. Okay. No. Save that for. I was going to save that for action. Well, I mean, I, there's not enough action in here for me to say it's an action flick. But, uh, you know, I mean, the performance of Denzel Washington as Crooked Cop Alonzo, I don't remember his last name, but it doesn't really matter. You know? <laughs> I don't know who you are. Yeah, uh, but Ethan Hawke uh, does a tremendous job in this movie about this rookie on his first day on the job falling in with the worst possible cop he could have possibly fallen in with who has uh, got a bit of problem with uh, some Russians that eventually catches up with him at the end. But man, it's the intensity of this movie as it goes along and it just keeps ratcheting up. And, you know, Ethan Hawke's (laughs) character just kind of like going along with it for a while till things get really out of control, especially near the end of this thing. Um, You don't like to get wet. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I just thought this was an excellent movie. Great drama, great intensity. Um, tremendous performances. I mean, I know it disturbed my wife, but Denzel's performance here is, wow. I mean, really mind-melting to see him just as that kind of an asshole, showing his real depth as an actor. Um, It's a tremendous movie. So yeah, Training Day number eight for me. I I think a lot of people forget that Snoop and Dre are in this movie in in two very opposite roles. Exactly. I mean, Snoop has a pretty damn good scene with Denzel where he basically makes him like throw up the drugs. The right? crack that he swallowed. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty damn good fucking scene for a guy who's not necessarily an actor. What are you talking about? Uh, he was great in Starsky and Hutch. Oh, yeah. Nice. Be nice. And half-baked I, as well. I uh, I left this movie off for a different Denzel Washington movie. So that's all. That's oh. my. T- I'm going to write it down right now. Okay. Well, and while you're writing it down, uh, regale us with your number eight. Oh, will do, sir. My number eight is from the year 
2000. And my number eight has a whole bunch of excellent actors in it. I wonder if you gentlemen have this higher on your list because this star studded cast has people with the names such as Benicio del Toro, Michael Douglas, Erica Christensen, uh, Dennis Quaid, Catherine Zeta Jones, Don Cheadle, Louis Guzman. And it's the film traffic. Nobody, Dave, I, I left it off. I left it off because I figured someone else was going to take it. I put it on just because it's fun to watch this whole movie unravel where the good guys realize that they have ties with the bad guys and some of them, it's their children and the bad guys realize they have good, you know, ties. it's, it's just a really interesting, very drama filled and serious movie. Um, I don't know. I don't have really much to say about it. I just enjoyed watching the film. I'm sure you've all seen it. Yes. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to once again, the less I say about this movie, the better for the podcast. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'll be the one to keep the trainer rolling. Is today. Boba Fett in uh, this one as well? Uh, he's everywhere in the 2000s. He's just not no in his own he, show. Uh, no wonder he couldn't show up for his Actually, own show, Patrick. He's been doing everything else. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I, I'll tell you what. I liked it better than Crash. Oh, I like that. It's fucking terrible. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> My number. Are we bringing it back around with seven now, right? Yeah, it's your seven. All right. Um, I had to find a place for this movie in some genre, and this is where it fell. My number seven is Ocean's Eleven. Okay. Yeah, I, I had Excellent. to say, I, with the same, where do I put this thing? Greg would be disappointed with us. But... It's got to go, what, well, so, too fucking bad. Be, he, he's yeah. used to it with me, so don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, no. It made the list. Damn, Greg will be so disappointed at all of you. Too low. According to him, <laughs> okay. it'll be too low. Well, it'd be his number one, sure. Yeah. All right, Tony, you said you were going to write down your guess on what my Denzel Washington movie wait, is. Wait, wait, hold on. Seven. I think you're out of order. Drink. Hold on. I'm, I'm before Tony, right? Dave is. You're okay. right. I just don't want to hear you anymore. I, I don't don't drink. Drink. Pat, drink, Patrick. This is for traffic Patrick. and insomnia. So, Patrick, this is the part of the relationship where I drink the alcohol yeah. for you. There you go. Take the bullet for him. I got a a mic's hard for you today in PC. (laughs) Oh, yeah. um, I love it. In the introduction to this discussion as to how you came up with your list, you mentioned specifically this movie, and it's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, And I know a lot of people have it on sci-fi. I I don't have it as a sci-fi just because the sci-fi element is almost secondary to what it really seems that's going on. It's a love story. It's a human nature story. It's it's the power of, you know, Jim Carrey not wanting to lose these memories that are so painful for him at the beginning that he's going to do anything to get rid of them, and it's more to pay uh, Clementine back than anything else. But it's a really, really well done, very clever, unique movie that, to me, I, I know there's a big sci-fi element to it, but I felt like this is more of a dramatic sort of thing. It's got a cool... You know, that stuff where it makes you think like the stuff at the very beginning of the movie is actually what happens at the very end. And you don't realize that till you get there. Um, I love this movie, man. This one was really, really good. A a good, you know, mind teaser. You know, it makes your brain work, that sort of thing. So I I love the movie. I thought it was more drama than sci-fi. So I've got it at number seven. I recommend it to a bunch of people. I had it on my sci-fi to make sure to get it on and make some room in drama where I didn't have as much depth in sci-fi as you guys did. So, yeah, like... 
the the scenes where they're underneath the I think it's the kitchen table looking up and then at the end of the movie where I think they're sledding at the end of the movie or ice fishing or something I don't know they're outside with snow and shit so I mean it's been a while since I seen it the tertiary story though of the people that do the mind erasing and yeah. things of that is excellent where all the shenanigans is going on while they're fucking with these people's heads I mean it's really good storytelling it's it's fulfilling it really is. It's a whole story. It, it is. And at the end where they decide, even with the knowledge that they've gone to these depths to get rid of their memories of each other, then they realize that. And then they decide, no, let's keep ourselves kind of together and see. And you kind of like, I wonder where they end up. But I mean, that, those are the kind of movies I really like. You know, it, it's a love story with sci-fi that you just are invested in the characters. So, yeah, I, I love this movie. Okay. Now, Tony. You had written down a movie starring Denzel Washington that you thought would be my my pick on the drama list. Shelby, you are correct, sir. My number seven is Man on Fire. And a lot of people point to Training Day as this as like the pinnacle of Denzel Washington performance. In my opinion, it's Man on Fire. Um, John Q actually is also one that, um, if you haven't seen Denzel at his best, and now that I'm thinking, I'm like, oops, I forgot about him. Don't remember when that movie came out. But this movie about a a kind of a washed up cop being hired to work security for an extremely wealthy family, uh, looking after a young Dakota Fanning. Um, because people, basically Mexican cartel people are, yep, I forgot John Q, left it off my list. Um, so my bad, shout out to John Q. Uh, Denzel Washington in the early 2000s was, he was literally on fire with just how great his performances were. And in this one, he was a man on fire indeed. Uh, and in this one, children of wealthy Americans are being kidnapped in Mexico and held ransom. Uh, for exorbitant amount of monies, uh, Denzel Washington is hired to act as a bodyguard for a young um, Dakota Fanning. The girl is kidnapped, and it's all about Denzel getting her back. It's 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 unbelievable, and the connection he has with this little girl um, in the in the movie, and just the the word that he is he is a second. He's a surrogate parent to her. He does everything he can for that family to get that girl back. Um, and I just, I think it's, I think it's one of his best performances ever. Uh, Denzel Washington. And, and that's why it's my number seven. I, I like it better than training day uh, in terms of just his performance as a cop. And, and he's the hero in this one. Right. I, I agree. I, I, I like that better. Uh, I like him better in both Man on Fire and John Q. I find right. him to be a little too over the top in Training Day uh, for my liking. And uh, that's an excellent choice, Patrick. Well, and there was a third. There was another Denzel movie that I that I left off as well that I don't want to say because I'm not sure. Does anybody else have Denzel Washington movies on, on their list anywhere? Take a quick look. Because you've also got American Gangster. Um uh, as well and he was is that in that time frame though it is holy shit yeah it is definitely it is american gangster was also just i mean he's, he's terrific in that one too um so denzel washington was all over 
the early 2000s with dramatic roles. Hell, you could argue his Herman Boone could be considered a, dra- uh, a dramatic role as well. So that's my number seven. I think we're back to you, Aesop, since I screwed up. Yes. Uh, my number seven is Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, with a story that I'm just surprised hasn't been looked at more. Good night and good luck tackles the deep subject of Senator Joseph McCarthy and his campaign to expel the red faction of communists in the 1950s America and the CBS team led by David Strathairn's portrayal of Edward R. Murrow. I mean, on top of that, you get George Clooney, who also directs the film, shot in black and white. So again, you're already pulling at my heartstrings. And while also using real footage of Senator McCarthy, that just haunts you throughout the film. It it has such a great feel. And this is my favorite film that George Clooney has directed as well. And and like I said before, to me, it's it's just weird that you don't see more of that subject uh, looked at in film because it's something that is really polarizing. Yeah, it was... It's it's such a it's such an interesting movie, um, and to me, I think the reason it doesn't get looked at is because it's not as flashy and just its presentation in the way that some like it reminds me. So I really love the movie Quiz Show, but a lot of people talk about Quiz Jack Show. Juro. Yeah, but people talk about Quiz Show being like this really boring movie, and I'm like, no, it's really interesting. I think a lot of people who watched that film like didn't didn't find it as engrossing as a real uh, a topic as it as it really is it deserved to be because it does it's it's pace is very deliberate it's very slow it's very i think it's very good but uh I, we were in the minority outside of award shows it happens sometimes right uh, i i actually got good ratings by the critics so you know i'm glad it was looked favorably somewhere um and yeah uh my number seven or sorry six is more Nolan, and it, someone else might have it on their list, but it's Memento. I knew it. It's, well, no, here's the thing. It's also my number six. So we oh, can just okay. together. Unless it's higher up on anybody else's list. Nope. I I just love the fact that this is a double dosage of Nolan, because not only is Memento directed by Christopher, but it's based on a work by his younger brother, Jonathan. Uh, and Memento is just a workout for your brain as it follows guys, guy pierces Leonard try to avenge the death of his wife and oh, so much more on top of that. And the difficulty of him trying to do this with the, the rare disease that he suffers from of this memory loss, which leads to him leaving these crazy breadcrumbs, including like tattooing the answers on his body. Uh, The reverse chronological journey that you take watching this film is thrilling and sprinkle in a twist for good measure to get my movie mojo flowing. Right. And that twist being a conscious decision to, to remain in the fog is like, it's, I mean, it's, it's what, if that's your first, cause this was the first Nolan film I ever saw. I was like, man, that guy, he, he, uh, he, he's a great storyteller. He's just such a great storyteller, and he he yeah. can mind in ways that to me still doesn't get old. Even though I think Tenet was not his best work, I still think he does very very good work. Um, even even his bad work is really fucking good. So, and Memento is 
Memento is definitely like better than Tenant, uh, in, in my opinion. Like, but like, I like Tenant. I liked Inception. I like, you know, Memento. Like, I like all this stuff. So, uh, excellent, excellent choice. And because it was my six, that means when it would uh, get to my turn again, um, you don't have to worry about it because you'll be skipping me. So we're skipping you right now. Then is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my number, my number six is the first of multiple appearances by the two stars of this movie who absolutely crushed this thing. And it's uh catch me if you can higher on tunnies. Yeah. I caught that right away. Uh, it's to me, my number six, I think this is the last one before the break is <clears throat> my number six is 25th hour. Okay. 25th Hour, starring uh, Edward Norton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Barry Pepper, I believe, Rosario Dawson, Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, who's currently crushing it on Secession. Um, And McDonald's commercials. Yes. (laughs) He does the the best. Um, This movie's just really fucking good it's about a drug dealer who has 24 hours until he goes away to jail and he has to tie up some loose ends and it's one of philip seymour hoffman's last performances before he sharded and along came polly um you know but that happened previously to that and i that previously i believe so yes or was that his last performance i don't don't remember this i don't remember the timeline i actually i think it does it's going to come up in our comedies i think it's in like 2009 um fair enough this is just a movie that keeps your attention the entire time. I'm surprised Barry Pepper didn't end up with more roles in better in bigger movies. Is really my biggest takeaway from here. One of Edward Norton's best movies, probably one of his top three movies in my opinion. Uh, Love Him and Rounders, of, of course, American History X is is an excellent movie. Um, Edward yeah, Norton, I, Ed, Edward Norton just doesn't is not a bad actor ever. The movie He's he does the star. Isn't he in the movie where with um, what's the one where the children's character is like a, a front for the Nazi organization? Jojo uh, Schmoopy, like uh, Shoopy. Um, Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. Yes. Where he plays Smoochie. Oh, it's such a fucking great movie. I think that's in I the next that, decade, though. That yeah, that's not. Too. Fucking that's Randall. Not. Death, no, that's not that's the smoochie is like early 2000s isn't it well then you're gonna see it on my comedy list because that movie fucking and rocks my favorite edward norton role by the way is uh pr- still primal fear i love him Excellent movie. He's fucking yeah. brilliant uh by the way if you ever want to be entertained by brian cox to no end on youtube he did a series of youtube videos where he just pronounces oh. the proper names of scotches um and, and just it's like every scotch you could think of he he pronounces it properly for you so that you know how to in order your scotch in the way I was hoping he was in a Big Mac eating contest. I mean, he wouldn't lose. He is a, a sizable man. But with that, with Tony's number six, that means it's time for our third commercial break. So everybody go refill your beverages in case I make more mistakes. And when we come back, we will give you our top five dramas. You're listening to The Op Project here on Bandwagon Nerds at the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com.
This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. Welcome back. We are moving right along here with the Op Project Part 5, the dramas. Tunny has just given us his number 6 and is going to regale us with his number 5. Kick us off, sir. Top 5, baby. My number 5, I I think it might be higher on somebody else's list, uh, is The Departed. Aesop, I told you that in the movie theater today. Probably Dave's number one, if I were to throw something out there. Scorsese loving. No. It's not. Don't. eh, Here. Don't come up until you're numb. Dave, you're number five. So my number five is Ocean's Eleven. Tony had mentioned it earlier. So it's here at number five for me. Um, It's a tough one to categorize because it's got elements of comedy. It's got action. It's got drama. It's got all sorts of things going. It's this category of heist films that really don't fit in very well anywhere else. So I'm like, eh, I'm going to put it in drama. It's got to be somewhere and it doesn't fit in very well anyplace else. Uh, just to, I mean, you talk about an ensemble cast of tremendous performances between George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon. I mean, I could go on Don Cheadle's in this, isn't he? Yeah. He's in this, right? Bernie Mac, Bernie, Bernie Mac, my wife, my wife approves of this. Uh, yeah. Matt Damon, who we're going to talk about with the departed as well. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a, a tremendous movie. Um, and the stuff that they pull off the relation, Andy Garcia, who's great in this, in this film as well. I mean, every aspect of this, there's just so many iconic performances wrapped around this great heist of the vault at the Bellagio and everything that goes into that and just how they pull it off. Cause you're like, how are they going to pull this off? And you ask yourself that at least 20 times during the movie, how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to get that? And it all works out in the end, at least until oceans 12, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and those aren't bad movies either. Oceans 12 and 13 are fall in the decade, but it's like, I'm not going to put all, it's like Lord of the Rings kind of mentality. I'm going to put one in. Um, yeah, it's oceans 11, the best of the trilogy. I got it. Number five. Sorry, Greg. It's, it's like suspense falls into drama, you know? Um, right. uh, drama is like toast. It sops up everything that is really fucking good. That necessarily isn't strong in any other category, but there's always tension. Okay. George Clooney, Bernie Mac, Brad Pitt, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kane, Eddie Jemison, Don Cheadle, uh, the amazing Yen. I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but uh, uh, Shalbo Kin, I believe. Carl Reiner, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia. This is the first time we've seen Topher Grace since that 70s show, I believe. Okay? Joshua Jackson, Barry Watson. It's just maybe the best remake of all time. I mean, it's up there and yeah. arguably better than the original. Like, I, I think, yeah, you know. When the, when the three of you sit there and just don't even say no right away, but just sit there and think and then kind of go, it's it, you nod your head going, it's at least top five, you know, because you can't think of many better. No, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know that anybody thinks to the Sinatra one when you talk about Ocean's Eleven. Perfect. Um platform for the relationship that George Clooney and Brad Pitt have in real life. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That lends itself to this movie's credibility, honestly. I dabbled a lot with thinking this might be number one and then said, nah, I got to do something different. 
but it's a great, I mean, fantastic movie. Don't worry, I'll take care of the not different with number one. All Got right, it. well, my here's my number five. Um, whether or not Wilson. we talk, I'm not sure. But you guys want to talk about some drugs? You knew I was going to bring Requiem for a Dream oh. on this movie on this list. <laughs> uh, you know, short of train spotting, is is there another more disturbing? look at drug addiction no this movie makes me thoroughly uncomfortable and we've mentioned this before it's it, it's a one view movie it's a one watch movie it you know and i think i've had at least in every category so far i've had one one watch movie like you need to watch this movie you only need to watch it if i could just for a minute talk about how great of an actress jennifer connelly is um, and this is, you see her in a way you've never seen her before, which interestingly enough about Jennifer Connelly is kind of every role for her. Like every role you see Jennifer Connelly in is like the only way you'll see it from this, from, uh, the only way you'll see her in that role, like from labyrinth to, to today, like you just, there's nothing like when she was in, um, Oh God, that random, with Brad, it was an ensemble cast movie like Brand, Bradley Cooper. It's based on a book. Um, I can't remember. Uh, Justin Long was in it. Um, anyway, it's irrelevant. That was like such a like mainstream typical role, and I was like, "What is she doing in this movie?" Um, yet, yet there she was. Uh, it's it was it, it played at Cannes. It's like like um, like Aesop said. It's disturbing. But I think it's important. It's these pe- these people. Their lives are so shitty. They're they're lost in this drug induced haze, and then the 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 things that they do while lost in this haze. It's it's messed up stuff. Messed up. Welcome to the two thousands as it was released in the year two thousand. Dun dun dun. That's a, so that's many two thousands films for you. I like seeing that. Yes. All right, uh, it's now up to me, yes. Uh, and with my number five, I have The Pianist. And oh, sorry. oh, this is what? a family show? Something You're wrong off? with you? What's what's wrong with you? You What did you catch? Uh, Gazuntite. Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Keitel's penis, that's what we caught. Oh, my. <laughs> All right. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we can... No, I'm not joking! <laughs> we could... Such a serious film. <laughs> it's such a serious film. It really is. Uh, but right, just an auto- autobiographical piece from legendary director Roman Polanski detailing the life of Polish pianist, excuse me, uh, Vladislav Spielman throughout World War II. And since he is Jewish, uh, his journey to avoid capture and reunite with his family is powerful and visceral really enrapturing the or encapturing, I don't know where I, the hell I was spelling, the horrific life that 1940s Poland truly was as the Nazi regime began to take over. Adrian Brody and his Oscar-winning performance as Spielman never gives up throughout the hardest of times and with the love he has for his family and the power of music to keep him going. Um, this This got me to really start to appreciate Adrian Brody. And I wish he would kind of get back to doing these types of films and not shit like 
what predators was that what it was called i love predators no stop it i I didn't love predators but you know yes and by the way the harvey Keitel joke was in reference to the piano not the pianist adrian brody won a best actor oscar for the pianist and infamously kissed halle berry on the stage Uh, and if i remember correctly that also was michael moore turning off the oscar audience after winning his oscar for um wasn't for bowling for columbine was it was it the 2002 it that's pretty damn close no well i here here's what i remember he won because he won the oscar and he started talking about a fictitious president yeah because it was after the 9-11 attacks like like that was part of the Bowling for Columbine documentary. So he wins this Oscar, right? He gets booed off the stage. Adrian Brody was like right after that wins for the pianist and gave this very impassioned speech talking about the horrors of war. And, but when he won, like he went up on the stage and planted a big one on Halle Berry. And then everybody was like, that's assault brother. Um, But Halle Berry seemed to not really care too, too much in the, in the aftermath. Um, but he won. He won his Oscar, and uh, that movie. It is a terrific movie. And no, you do not see Harvey Keitel's dick. <laughs> uh, wrapping it back around, my number four is The Hurt Locker. Director oh. Catherine Bigelow does a <laughs> wonderful job displaying a bomb disposal unit's final days in Baghdad. A massive cast. With Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie, Guy Pierce, Brian Garrity, Ray Fiennes, just to name a few people, there is no glamorization of being a soldier here, which is already like I have to give it mad props for because that's just something that you see as a trope throughout film. Uh, they are truly in a nightmarish environment, watching their back from whatever danger may be lurking ahead or behind them, and. Shooting the Hurt Locker in Super 16 uh, just adds a lot to the gritty, grainy, real-life visual style that adds those small touches to this war flick. They shot over 200 hours of footage and broke it down to just 127 minutes, and that really makes me wonder what we might have missed because it's good. Yeah, it is. It's really, it, it fell off my list because of... Uh, just kind of my personal preference as to what I wanted to have on there, but it was it was amongst the ones that I that I definitely considered. For that was a major. Catherine Bigelow won um, best director for that, right? This yeah. won best picture, didn't it? I can't remember if it swept or not. I definitely remember she won best director because it was a huge one best that, picture. It was a huge deal that a woman won best director because Oscars so white and male uh, is a real problem. I guess we can go to my number four. I'm not sure if it's high. It may be higher on Dave's list since it's already mentioned one and he already raised a hand, but this is where I had the departed. I've got it at number four as well. Yeah, I had it at five. Yeah, it at five. I'm assuming you don't have the departed higher. All right. See, uh, you know what? Before Dave gets back, you want me to give the rundown? It won best picture, best director, best original screenplay. Best sound editing, best sound mixing, and best film editing. So that's pretty much a sweep. Pretty damn close to it was. It was a really damn good movie. Uh, I went with The Departed, uh, best director award for Mr. Scorsese. If I do recall, first, first and only. 
Right. Because uh, he got robbed for Goodfellas uh, and still don't understand how he didn't win for Goodfellas. But, you know, that mystery will remain forever. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, and, and this story of two guys. And it's fascinating to me because it's a story of like privilege versus trying to rise out of like poverty and, and everything that DiCaprio's character has to do uh, in order to, to gain respect, to, to gain, to make it in this world versus Matt Damon, who plays the crooked cop, who who just basically has everything handed to him left and right, no matter where he goes. It's that's what I love about that story. Like people talk about Jack Nicholson's performance so much. And and for me, it's, it's really about the two of them and Mark Wahlberg stone cold blasting (laughs) at the end of that movie, stone cold blasting Matt Damon when he finds out who the rat is. Ah, love it so much. I love that movie. It's terrific. Alec Baldwin, excellent as yep. well in this movie. Um, I don't think a lot of people know that producer Brad Gray and Brad Pitt are the one who brought the rights to remake the Hong Kong film Internal Affairs uh, to the studio. This is a, this is a remake. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's um well, it's my number my number four as well. Yeah, it's it's you know like we talked about the mist and and kind of hopeless endings this one's kind of along that same line that nobody survives this thing everybody's dead except you know mark Wahlberg's character at the end and presumably the the counselor who's got somebody's baby we're not really sure whose it is is this what got anthony anderson doing um law and order i don't know i, don't I honestly i don't know i don't know if that if that had which something is coming to, back. i wouldn't be shocked which is he's coming back to do that again now that they're, yeah. they're I think they're giving it one last rocket boost. Yeah, but I, I love like the, the, the levels of subterfuge going on with this with this movie and just kind of like, you know, how everything's revolving around. And, you know, you're not really sure, you know, is, is Frank Costello really talking to the FBI? Who the hell knows? And at the end, it doesn't matter because everybody's dead except Mark Wahlberg. That's such a Scorsese ending. Yep. Very much. <laughs> Very much. Dave, continue into your number four. Mine, mine's the same as yours, Pat. The Departed. So it's oh. on to Tunny. Oh, on to Tunny. Drink. Okay. All right. Uh, my number four uh, is Slumdog Millionaire. Held off on that one. I thought about putting it on there, and it just fell off my list. It's a story of a young Indian Muslim who is on a game show. He's eighteen years old, and he's super smart. And it's he gets detained during the show because they think he's cheating. And the flashbacks during this movie are about how he knew about these answers because of his struggles and upbringing and life in India. And it's such a well put together thing. Um, you, you talk about movies winning Oscars and, and, and doing well. Uh, th- this one did fairly well uh, in addition. So I'm trying to find it right now. Just but- a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Best um, picture. It won. It, it was nominated for ten and won eight. Best picture, best director, best screenplay, uh, yada yada. So I remember watching this movie um, and just being glued to it the entire time. One of the things that I think is really interesting, people, this is like a gateway drug to Bollywood because this is not a true Bollywood film. By the way, like some people will try to tell you, like, oh, this is what no, Bollywood. No, not at all. 
No, it is not. You need to set aside seven hours of your life if you want to watch a Hollywood film. <laughs> or I'd have to take a month break city. from the show. Right. Um, but there's some fun stuff. Like, I love action Bollywood films, by the way. Just in Netflix, like, one of my favorite, like, suggested for you categories is, like, Bollywood action movies are awesome. And it's all like some middle-aged, paunchy dude who's like the star. I, it's great. I love it every time. It gives me hope for Can my. We do act- that for the odd project. Oh, just, just a Bollywood <laughs> cat. Why don't you guys do that for for uh, the glass instead? It's called the five by five, and um, no, <laughs> Tony, turn the corner, sir. Your number three. Quit trying to change the name, Michelle. My number three is Catch Me If You Can. Tom Hanks, Leo DiCaprio, based loosely on a true story. And the gentleman that Leo DiCaprio actually plays ends up getting out of jail and rewriting bank code security, basically, for the United States. And that's that's a fact, Jack. It, this is just the start of the Tom Hanks love fest that I'm about to have um, to end the show. So it's an amazing amazing job of of leo dicaprio just crushing it as he moves along from persona to persona hitting on this that and the other in the meantime and using everything uh, the badgers must have lost hey 74 to 73 they lost yeah nebraska beat them by a point yeah they were up in the second half by like five or six the whole time i stopped paying attention i told you it was gonna happen fuck now i gotta watch the damn game tonight with like angst Damn it. Damn it. I should not have done that. Sorry, everybody. That's Pat's Alina Sports Talk. Go back to catch me if you can. I just got nervous, guys. I just got so nervous right now in the moment. I, I Why did I do that to myself? <laughs> ah, ah. So, Dave, yeah. you had this on your list as well. I had it at number six. Yeah, There's this- a couple uh, notable love interests in this movie in addition to in the cast, I believe. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, in, in the role, I mean, you talk about Leo DiCaprio, you talk about Tom Hanks for good reason. Christopher Walken as Frank Abagnale yes. Sr. Uh, really turned you know, the butter. The, that mouse, he just struggled so much. He turned that butter and walked his way out. That's right. A very, a very young Amy Adams in this movie as yes. well. Yeah, she was great. It, it's, it's a tremendous story. How, and I love like, you know, Tom Hanks' big thing in his mind the whole time is, How'd you pass the Louisiana bar? How'd you cheat your way through it? And he says, I studied for two weeks and passed it. You know, now as a lawyer, I could say, well, Louisiana is not exactly known for their difficult bar exams, <laughs> but still a, a tremendous accomplishment. But yeah, the movie's just great. The way the cons that he pulls on everybody and then along the way becoming the world's expert on bank fraud and the relationship between him and, and uh Hanratty, you know, that how that evolves and, Hanratty having to be the one to tell him that your dad died and, and just him kind of the trust that they develop with each other, which doesn't seem like there should be any trust between them. But at the end, there is all this trust. And it's a really awesome, awesome movie. Very much Ocean's Eleven-ish in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, great call, Tony. I had a little bit lower, but no quibbles there. Oh, my number three. So... Uh, yeah, I'll drink. I was wrong there. In my Did top have- three, I've got two historical action movies that really could be action as well, but I have them in dramas because I want to free up some stuff for my actions. Uh, it's probably, in my opinion, the second best 
Mel Gibson performance of all time, and probably one of Heath Ledger's best performances too. And it's the Patriot. Oh, dude, that's so action. Well, I don't know. I I've got it as a drama, but I, I like Jason Isaac's performance as the uh, the British prick of a of a general or J- whoever he is. Jason Isaac's. I'll I'll give you Jason Isaacs, but you know you know what killed that movie for me? What's that? Honestly, when we're visiting, where where's where's his farm? Virginia, Virginia, somewhere in the one of the colonies. When the British people come up to the Virginian farm and are like all slaves captured, and they're like we're free men, bullshit. Get that fucking bullshit out of my theater. That is a full. That's complete horseshit lie. <laughs> That's from the second that happened, I was like, okay, I'm done. And I forgive bad historical dramas because I got one and I'm sure it's your number two. So, <laughs> well, we'll see about so, that. But uh, I, uh, but it's a terrible movie. And then he like hooks up with his dead wife's sister. Like, that's messed up. Like, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> it's Mel Gibson. Like, what do you on. expect? All right, all right, go talk up your movie. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away for a moment. While you guys pontificate, I, I just—I mean, I—I love—I love them. I—I love I think Heath Ledger probably doesn't get enough credit for this portrayal because of what happens with Dark Knight, and that's looked at as his seminal performance. But he was really, really good in this movie as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, the the whole notion of just the kind of like at the end where it's you know Jason Isaac's like it seems you were not the better man, but Mel gets the uh, the the drop on him and says, "No, you're right. My sons were better men." I mean, stuff like that. I understand it's ho- hokey as hell and cheesy, but it's just, it's one of these movies that I just love. So I gotta, I gotta have it at number three. Through the field with cannonballs and the flag in his fucking hand, man. That's one of the, it's like, it's okay. inspiring, Pat. Yeah. I'm sure you marched out of the theater being like, USA, USA. <laughs> no, that's Rocky um, four. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Independ- the movie Independence Day. Oh, Two. Montage movie. All right, so we're gonna probably skip my number three because I'm willing to bet money that Gladiator is your number two. Thank you. So move on to Aesop. <laughs> That's an action movie. I'll I'll explain to you why it's drama to me. But go ahead. <sighs> All right, my number three. Wow. We, we brought it up a while ago, but we've been waiting on it. It's Sideways. Sideways is one of my favorite dramedies ever, with the great connection that you have between in the main cast, the main four, really Paul Giamatti, Thomas Hayden church, Sandra O oh, and Virginia Madsen. You go on who go on this last hurrah for church's character throughout wine country before he has to be married. And the boys hook up with the girls, the girls find out about the marriage disarray sideways shows that no one is perfect with a funny touching trip. that is more grounded than most films. I, I can remember when this movie came out and just kind of being a little perplexed by it, like what the hell is this film? And then the, the accolade and the, the love and attention started to come out for it. So I, you know, obviously had to see it. And it was definitely, uh, like I said, the connection between specifically Giamatti and Thomas Hayden church, they feel like good friends in real life because of this movie. Uh, You know, PC, I think you were the one that had it higher. Yeah. I did. I'm a big fan of Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, Lowell on Wings is one of my favorite TV characters of all fucking time. Big uh, Spider-Man 3 fan then? No, not a big Spider-Man fan in general. Um, 
I prefer the DC version of Flash. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Sideways is a great movie. Paul Giamatti is in a series right now called Billions, and he does a great job in that series as well. Just a couple of actors that you'd love to follow. This is one of those quirky movies where you just kind of got to get into it, right? Isn't there... Doesn't Thomas Hayden Church have an affair with a a, a plus sized lady who's very attractive, and her husband comes home, and that's kind of what they do as their relationship? Isn't that this movie? No, I thought this was just one where he was kind of a total prick. He like he leads on not. So, oh, is, is he like the former actor here now in this one? Yeah, something. I don't think like, of what movie that was? Here, because that's the thing. That's more interesting, doesn't it? Thomas Hayden Church's character is such a despicable, unlikable character, and that's and it by design. Like he is just a horrible human being, and he totally leads this woman on. Like there's going to be some other relationship to be had, and there's not, and he's a prick for it. He's terrible, and poor Paul Giamatti is just trying to to put out the fires. Like that's the like the whole when movie. he when he realistically starts the fire, you know. So, but we didn't start the fire. Thank goodness for that. It was always burning. All right. Thank well, you, I Billy. feel that yep. um, everyone else has kind of been yelled at for one of their picks. I feel like this is probably going to be mine. My number two is The Dark Knight, and this is my final Nolan film. And I, like I said, it may get some flack yeah, like, for it. Actually- but you can't tell me that The Dark Knight is anything but a drama. They're, sure, there's a lot of moments of action throughout, but so many of those moments stem from the deep storytelling that Christopher Nolan spins on Bruce Wayne and the tight wire act that he walks between his heroism and vigilanteism. Chances are you've seen the film, so I don't need to give you the details. But The Dark Knight sits near the top of the best superhero films ever, and it's clear to see why and really it's the odd one out of the nolan trilogy because clearly it's that much better than the other two films yeah it really is um you can't i the reason why i i i can buy it as a drama by the way and slash action is really because of the 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 performances and we were making fun of christian bale early in this show like Christian Bale still does a really good job because it's really this psychological game being played by the Joker on Bruce Wayne slash the Batman. And you just wonder where this could have gone had he not tragically passed. Yeah. Because well, he it was, was clear he was trying to come back. Yeah. It was there was intent that he was going to return. Um, and I just love like the end when he's dangling upside down. He's like, I don't want to kill you. You're too much fun. Like. That's what made the Joker so great to me in, in that film. So, yeah, I yeah. think I, I I don't have a problem with it being a drama. I mean, I, I look at it as an action as well. But I mean, there are absolutely major dramatic elements to that movie. So, yeah, I you get no flack from me for that. I just wish Katie Holmes came back. Yes, let that's very true. All the hate to Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Oh, she wasn't that bad, guys. It's fine. <laughs> she wasn't that good either. Uh, wasn't right. Katie Holmes? Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. She was too busy being held prisoner by Tom Cruise. Oh boy, anyway. that's true. Oh boy. So my number two, Oscar, Oscar films the rest of the way for me. Anytime this man is in a lead performance in a movie, he's going to win Best Actor. 
Daniel Day-Lewis, there will be blood. No. Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, I told you, so. I Yep, I knew it was going to be on there as well. I left this off my list because... You that left it year intentionally because you thought I would put it on? No, that year is stacked for stacked. great films. And my number one is in that same list, so... Probably. Uh, but I just, I simply stated, as a bowling fan, where else can I go when I want to see somebody get their head bashed in with a bowling pin? Is there what? It's a movie that keeps its promise and makes you wait for a really long time as it tells this tale of Daniel Day-Lewis's uh, character uh, basically ripping off everyone around him uh, in his pursuit of oil fields uh, before finally striking oil. Oh, it's just, it's, again, all I was saying, it's just a slow burn. Um, Paul Dano, by the way, we mentioned him in this movie as well. Hell of a performance as, as this um, preaching uh, young preacher it's just great stuff i love i love the movie i don't want to talk on it and belabor it too much no uh, to me it's gangs of new york in a different setting as far as daniel day lewis playing a character i'm sorry i i'm sorry that i okay <laughs> no no you can i hated on i hated on dave's choice of uh of uh of the patriot i deserve to receive hate on a film Yay, we've all been hated on today. Yay. I, no, I wasn't hating on you. It's a good movie, actually. But to me, it's just like an adaptation of what he did for Gangs of New York. And he turned that, that rage into like a Texas oil man traveling the country looking for better prices. You know, that's fair. Dave, save me. And very similar to my left foot, too. That's true. So <laughs> this is where I kind of swerve Pat a little bit. My number two is not Gladiator. My number two is probably higher on Tunney's list because it's Castaway. Yes. Oh. Well, then we know what your number one is. <laughs> yes. Go ahead, uh, Tunney. You're number two. All right, Patrick. It's almost famous. What a great fucking movie. I remember seeing this movie and leaving the theater going, this is going to forever be in my top five. And it's probably my third favorite movie of all time. Um, uh, 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 just just an amazing cast. Francis McDormand, Kate Hudson, Jason Lee, Zoe Deschanel, Anna Paquin, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, the both of the gentlemen that that played the young writer, Billy Crudup. Uh, it's just it's just a really great it's it's great storytelling. It's fucking great storytelling in a great era to tell stories. And if you remember anything from the movie, you remember any last words? I'm on drugs. You might yeah. really think that. I, I dig music. Oh, fuck it. I'm on drugs. And he jumps off the house after the big breakup in the band and, and into the pool. And it's just the relationships in this movie. Kate Hudson, maybe her best performance ever in a movie. Right. It's, it's loosely, it's loosely autobiographical. Um, based Cameron on Crow. those right. experiences writing for Rolling Stone. Yep. And, um, it it is. It's just it's a terrific, like it's a terrific snapshot of the seventies. It's a it's a terrific snapshot of um, the the high. It, it's I'm going to compare this to another movie, and people are going to be like, "What?" But that thing you do, 
in the sense of the music industry and the way like the rise and fall and the flame out of, of the way like bands kind of come together, fall apart. Like it's, it's, it's a more realistic, that thing you do. Um, and it's, it's just great. And Billy Crudup is terrific. Jason Lee is probably my favorite character out of that whole thing. And just, well, who's the band manager? The band manager too is fucking phenomenal. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't have the IMDb in front of me but that it's, awkward silence tells me that we should just go to our it's number tunny's one. number one right drink well drink twice tunny you fucked the order shout, up again shout out to the uh the ben and ashley i almost famous podcast because they just covered it this past year which was very fun he's double fisted my man all right my number one is castaway tom hanks never fails me as far as like from the mid nineties up until, I don't know, I'm still waiting. So a lot of things he does is excellent. This is one of the best performances by an actor. I've ever seen the commitment to this. He's doing this alone. This, this, this movie doesn't work. If he doesn't execute, he does this by himself. There's no one else to work with. This is not a team sport here. This is no one to play off of. This is no one else to talk to except for a fucking volleyball, which we all love. There you go. I mean, that's the thing, man. He makes a volleyball the best supporting actor almost. The things he goes through, like not just the scene that leads to him being on the island while he's in the airplane, right? And not just the stuff afterwards where he goes to see Helen Hunt and it just doesn't, it's been too much time, right? And not just the gold wings and, and I worked at FedEx actually, and, and I know all about that shit and, and everything into it to see him, this, this well-fed executive at FedEx that's worried about timing and, and puts a fucking timer in a box and ships it somewhere and then goes there to make sure that it gets there in time to being this skin and bones guy who just fucking made resources out of everything he could find and just wanted to get out of there couldn't execute his own demise and then you know thrived and then realized finally i can't do this by myself i need to make a plan to get out of here win lose or draw and he got out and and the the odd subtleties that they highlight after he leaves there and goes back into civilization are excellent as well so man i'll great movie it is great fucking movie it's like it this and forrest gump to me it's like man wow unlike the departed the end of this movie has a lot of hope to it you know (laughs) at the very end where he's at that crossroads and he's looking down that road and it's like yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like a glass you know nicely done tony finally about to get kicked out of this fucking phone call (laughs) as a so Uh. um I well, guess he, he just he just gave his number one, so feel free. Kick yeah. him out now. Get out. Anybody else hey. want to talk about Castaway before we talk Gladiator? Let's talk Gladiator. I, I get where Tony's coming from, that this is going to make his action list. And I think maybe because I just recently watched the extended cut, which adds on about 20 minutes of story to this thing. The, the scope of Gladiator is immense. Um, the story of betrayal, uh, of of this general who ends up being a slave then challenging the emperor and, and basically winning back his freedom only to be reunited with his wife and son in the afterlife. Uh, it's yeah, it, it, there's not an uplifting ending to this thing, but there kind of is, but I mean, it's, there's certainly action elements. The stuff in the Coliseum is, is awesome, 
But I just think, you know, the story of Maximus, his his standing, his fall, and his rise back to where he was to set things right in the face of this great betrayal is, is one of the most powerful th- aspects of storytelling that I've ever seen. So yeah, Gladiator for me was number one by a, a bit of a margin over Castaway, but a tremendous movie. Joaquin Phoenix, amazing. Yep. Left off Walk the Line by him in dramas. Uh, a number of times I've walked off softball fields legitimately and said, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? I love to yell at the fans. Joaquin the, Phoenix is such a shithead in that movie, and I and I love yes, it. Yes, I knew it's, it. And it's, you know, it's another one of those, kind of like The Departed, the, the whole comeuppance part is, you know, just it's very satisfying when when he dies and you know and maximus's body gets carried off during probably my favorite there's there's two moments in in that movie two speeches that that i love the you know he he was a soldier of rome speech as he's carried off and the whole honor him thing but um the other one is when and, and this is the other thing richard harris uh, as the emperor who was murdered by his marcus son, aurelius and, a and lot of this is Game of Thrones shit. And Oliver Reed, in the last role that he ever performed in before, he, and he actually died during production, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right, yeah. Because some of the audio is not him. But the, he touched me on the so- shoulder speech um, when he's explaining to Maximus how to actually achieve what he wants to achieve and his goal of revenge and describing the wave of the crowd and the rush. And the reason I give gladiator a hard time is again, you ask any historian and that shit ain't how it went down, but the spectacle of Ridley Scott in this movie and what he put on here, it's an epic. It's an epic on the scope of a Lord of the Rings. Um, and you know, one best picture for a reason. So, uh, and in fact, I went to go look for it and see if it was on any of the streaming services I subscribed to. And of course, it's not right now. Pluto. So, Womp. Is it on any? It's on Pluto. Yeah. Okay. So much. Exactly. That means you can you can wait to watch that movie. Not right. even a planet anymore, right? Gladiator. Gladiator was my number three. Uh, my number one. Uh, another just really great movie. No Country for Old Men. Or I guess. Show it. Uh, Oh, it's number one as well. Wearing it, yeah. He's wearing it. They're literally wearing, wearing shirt. He's, yes, he yeah, was. You always, you always do the today. backgrounds, uh, Patrick. I, I made sure to be wearing my favorite. Yeah, my, I, I went Spider-Man of that decade. All right, so I'll let yeah, so, Javier Javier Bardem, just unbelievable. Tommy Lee Jones, just unbelievable. I'll let you talk on it more i mean, clearly it's your favorite film um between the I've two pre- i've previewed this take sit down open your ears and listen to dave from cut a uh i couldn't have a list without some coen brothers love and to me this it's my favorite film of the decade like i said javier bardem is truly tantalizing as anton Chigurh. And his pursuit of Josh Brolin while avoiding the sheriff played by Tommy Lee Jones is, is to me, Anton Chigurh is one of those characters in film that is a perfect 
character. It's something that people should look at. They should be doing research on and the subtlety that develops into so much more throughout the film is great. The Anton Chigurh philosophy, the idea that everything is left up to chance has been seen in so many films, but never quite to the same power that Joel and Ethan Cohen go out, uh, get out of Bardem. And if you haven't read the Cormac McCarthy novel, this film was based on, I, I demand that you double down on it as well. Um, I, I literally had this conversation yesterday uh, in the car ride back from a wrestling show. Anton Chigurh is a perfect character in film. He does everything right. The way that Javier Bardem produces this character, he embodies Anton Chigurh so well. And it it's a shame that Bardem has never even come close to regaining the level of aptitude that he had in No Country for Old Men. It's so good. Again, I, I'm wearing a damn No Country for Old Men shirt. You, you wouldn't think that this gets a shirt, but I found it and I instantly had to buy it. In fact, at this point, I'm probably too fat for this shirt, but I just can't give myself to get rid of it. When you seen it, you didn't even pin it. You nailed it. Yes, it's, it's, it was at the very top. Like, that was the only one that I knew was, like, not getting touched. Like, with, without question, you knew what you were, you were hitting. With. I, I was back and forth between, the, if I could say 1 and one 1A and 1A, it's, it's There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. Like, you talk about a stacked couple of movies, like, just ridiculous. So, and that's going to do it. So, our number, our, up for our poll, uh, oh, did I mess up? Mystic River didn't get mentioned, so sorry. It was – I've never seen it. That was that was the reason why I didn't put it on there because I know it's quite good. I've just have never seen it. Yeah. So Just had, to, just had yeah. to make sure it got mentioned. That's all. It didn't feel justified. So that means that this week's poll on Bandwagon Nerds, which will be pinned at the top of our Twitter account for a week, will have Gladiator, No Country for Old Men, and Castaway as your options. Any any other good honorable mentions did you have? Anyone? Uh, I wish I would have left. Uh, Crazy Heart uh, and Education I had. Probably like uh, Gran, Gran Torino was one I was thinking of. Gran Torino. Uh, a movie I had that letters I from Iwo Jima. A movie I couldn't find to put in anywhere. And it definitely, well, a little draw. It definitely draw with Juno. You know, oh, that's a comedy. Ju- it's going yeah, top. I know, but it's not going to make a comedy. It's it's like it's it was family too. Actually, it's family. It's drama. It, there is comedy in there, but like that's a great fucking. A little movie. too inappropriate to be a family movie. No, I don't know. but at the same time, if you have a fourteen-year-old girl, she should watch that and know the consequences to your actions. I thought about putting um Oh Brother Where Art Thou on the list as well. I did oh, Brother too. Where Art Thou. Yeah. Um, what's the other? about uh, a boy. drama with Stephen uh Steve Carell and um they're trying to get the, the 40 year old virgin oh no not that no one. they're trying no, to get the uh, little miss sunshine beat. yes little miss sunshine also Paul Dano. Dano. more Paul yeah, Dano. I, yes exactly this is a Paul Dano podcast uh I just wanted to mention that in case it doesn't make my comedy so because that was also Bet, there that's also Bet a family show, show. Uh, you and Bets and shows another great one um, right, release right, right, game right. 
you're 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 basically dropping half of my comedy list while. <laughs> yeah. Squid and the oh, whale. What about you? That like one? to drop the whole thing? What are you worried about? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Next week, for Patrick's pitch, pitch me on whether we're doing comedies or are we doing action films. Can I pitch action because I won't be here next week and I definitely want to be here for comedies. Uh, So basically because Dave has to go hang out with the mouse again, we have to just do what Dave wants. So be it. All right. So next week you're going to send us a list. I am, but we always end up with comedies. We did ended the eighties with comedies. We ended the nineties with comedies and with the comedy. So next week, I can't wait for that. Next week we'll be doing our top 10 action flicks. Of the 2000 to 2009 era. Excellent list this week, gentlemen. Well, well done. That's going to do it for this week's edition. But before we go, remind everybody where they can find you out there on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Let's start with Mr. Mitchell this week. Yeah, sure. Find me on Facebook at a, or with Aesop Mitchell, A-E-S-O-P. Mitchell. You can also find me on Twitter at Violent Aesop and at Dave and Cudahy. Uh, please check us out on the, the podcast, also on the chairshot.com, down the wire with the uh, professional sports podcast being talked about in the most unprofessional way. We have some fantastic guests. We talked to a baseball minor leaguer this past week that was uh, in the Phillies organization. And uh, we got even more planned coming up. So listen to that, people, as well as the bandwagon nerds and everyone else on chairshot.com. Absolutely. Heading clockwise to the lawyer, David Ungar. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at fuck the Phillies. Um, that's just my new Twitter handle. <laughs> No. You can Ch- find- change it right now. That's you right. better Make do that it. Happen. Make that happen. You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G. Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Shout out to Raymond S. Cashington's. You can follow him at It's Ray Cash. Uh, R-E-Y as a Mysterio. C-A-S-H as in dollar signs. Uh, you can find me at PC Tony Twitter and Facebook. Please continue to listen to everything. Share Shot Radio Network on all of your favorite streaming networks uh pro wrestling tees.com forward slash the chair shot pc and plat it's brand new it's the same shit but you're gonna get it once a week patrick once again pro wrestling tees.com forward slash the chair uh, chair shot make sure shot um make sure you get yourself a bandwagon nerd shirt and maybe soon a nerd approved shirt we'll have to work on that design get a nice little stamp looking sort of deal there you hear, um, us, Greg? you hear us you hear us Greg you can follow me on Twitter at wrestling realist that is at w-r-e-s-t-l-n-g-r-e-a-l-i-s-t you can also follow the show at bandwagon nerds we as I mentioned before we'll be putting up a poll with our top choices for you all to vote on out of the drama category and if Ray sends me a top drama that doesn't match one that's currently listed we'll throw it on there uh, and I don't know. It was a dominant victory for uh, who did win last? Um, Shrek. Shrek won. Shrek, yeah, Shrek won easily for family films. So we'll Shame. have to see what happens there. Oh, yeah. You can also catch me every Monday. You can basically catch me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. As Monday, it's Bandwagon Nerds. Tuesday, it's Dave and I doing some Chair Shot Radio, usually hockey talk. Sometimes it's musical chairs. And this week, 
Tunny is going to join me for next week. We're going to do a five by five talking Saturday Night Live. So listen to that. Uh, and then Wednesday, I'm on the Greg DeMarco show talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. That's going to do it for us. Now, get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, and bring some drama into your life. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Stand to win everything, call it. All right. Heads in. Well done. Don't put it in your pocket, sir. Don't put it in your pocket. It's your lucky quarter. Where do you want me to put it? Anywhere not in your pocket. What will be mixed in with the others and become majestic oil. Which it is. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew, somehow, that I had to stay alive. Somehow. I had to keep breathing. 
even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in, gave me a sail. And now here I am. I'm back in Memphis talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over again. I'm so sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. I gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring. Why doesn't the hero reveal himself and tell us all your real name? You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You will remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true Emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.